1: your arrest for the murder of William Moore, was the gas station attendant, but you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your first Friday follow up of the new Roarin' Twenties, the first podcast of the year, first podcast of the decade. This is your follow up for season seven, episode twenty two. Which it's been so long ago. What was it called? Like the 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 uh, Holt Durbin connection? Is that right? I don't remember, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I was checked out and ready for
2: vacation. <laughs> Yes, yes, it was.
1: Yeah. Because I listened to it this morning. That's the only reason I know. You're the only one that refreshed yourself. Yeah, uh, it's been uh, a good break. We appreciate you guys giving us uh, giving us the leeway to to take a couple of weeks off. We did work quite a bit, but it was not on the podcast. We had some construction to do. We finally finished our our break room and bathroom in the in the studio here. But because of that, I yeah, we're I'm, I'm a little out of touch. I've just started researching for this week's episode. So I think Zach probably knows more about our last episode than Mike or I because, as Mike said, we we checked out Mm -hmm. on December, whatever was the 20th or whatever day we were in before we got our two weeks off. But we are back now with a vengeance, and we have a lot of listener questions, so let's get started.
0: All right. Our first question comes from Jeff. I'm starting to wonder if Wiley Holt was really at the Clark station the night of the murder, since he didn't show up at the police station until 1 a.m. He would have had plenty of time to find out what really happened. What if Durbin was driving the taxi that night and Wiley's story was just a
1: cover in case someone saw his taxi at the station? Well, I mean, that that could be the case whether he was there or not. I, I, I think that he He was there. I mean, I don't see any way that he could have not been there, considering the fact that when he came in, he told them that he was there, and his bill was was twenty three dollars and some change, and that he bought gas and a quart of oil, and the register tape confirmed exactly that that purchase, unless it was something like you know. Again, there was the issue of the fact that he didn't have the receipt for it, um, which is a Kind of an interesting blunder for someone who is an experienced businessman like that to not grab a receipt. But the only other way that he could have known that would have been if, say, it was one of his driver, if it was Jeff Durbin who was there, and then Wiley Holt, you know, he told him how much he spent, and then Wiley went in and said it was him.
0: Yeah, let me stop you right there because he he continues a little bit here, and he says maybe Durbin was actually the one who spent the $23.10 while he was casing the place. He also says, what if Wiley or his son, John, met up with Durbin sometime later that night and got the information about the purchase and robbery? So Wiley may have been telling the truth about hearing about the murder from his son, although the time frame could not have been accurate.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it's possible. But th- but think about that for a minute, what that scenario looks like. That means, I mean, they would have clear knowledge that the robbery occurred, that, that Jeff Durbin committed the robbery. And in the course of doing so or or in the casing of it, he went there and spent the money. That is a hell of a risk for somebody who wasn't there to say, oh, you took the cab to the station, spent this money, and then robbed the kid and killed him. Well, let me say that it was me that was there.
2: Like, yeah, I got to agree with that. Yeah. Uh, that. That's too big of a risk to take.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that Wiley was there. And again, as I said in the episode, I don't want to. I don't want to come across as though I'm throwing shade, as the kids say, at at Wiley Holt, as though like he for sure knew about it or that he was involved. I don't know that there's. As I said, there's a few scenarios there. There's either he just went and got the gas, and then you know decided that you know he wanted to be a good citizen and and go let them know what he had heard, or he or it could have been a diversion. That you know that, that he was he was saying that you know there was black guys in the brown car to try to divert the police attention you know explain you know why there might have been a cabin area and divert the police attention away or you know I I don't know he, he we don't really know how much he knew or if he knew anything so yeah. but one of those scenarios is that Wiley Holt just doesn't know anything about the robbery and was legitimately just going in to share what he knew. I, I have a
2: ton of questions about the timeline and especially the proposed timeline. Okay. So we we say that he's there at 7:53 is when the purchase is made. Right. Or somebody made a purchase at 7:53. Right. And the no receipt thing, like you said I mean I understand that that's a, you know, that seems like something a business owner would have, but I can I can as a business owner myself, I can find ways to believe that he didn't have the receipt,
1: especially you being a little bit of uh, yeah, forgetful. Yeah. So I can see him <laughs> not having the receipt. Right,
2: or yeah. the other thing is I have a couple different envelopes that I throw receipts in uh-huh. based on what it is. Right. So if he's got an envelope that he just throws the receipt in, mm. good luck finding a receipt back out of that. Right.
1: Without literally going through and pulling, yeah. you know, every receipt out. Well, and it's a good. It's interesting that the, the comparison like between you and I because I'm super um, anal for mm-hmm. lack of a better term about my bookkeeping and my finances and the software I use to track every every transaction. So you know it could have been like you or like me or somewhere in between. We don't. Mm-hmm.
2: know. You're absolutely right. So then after that, I think at 7:57 is the the dump. We know that there's a cash dump at 7:57, right? And we're we're presuming that he's gone, mm-hmm. that Wiley's gone at that time. Which again, I can see both ways on that. I can see him being gone. I can see him being there. What if Wiley's? A, what if Wiley's a regular? I do things in my store. If I have a regular that I wouldn't do with somebody I don't know. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the night, if there's a regular, if you're there, right? I'll count the drawer down, mm-hmm. but I would never do that with somebody I don't know. Right. You know, especially if it's just a cash dump. Yeah. If they're pulling out what they know, dumping it, they might do something like that with a regular in the store.
1: It could be. I, I don't, th- I don't think the, I think he could have still been there, like out in mm-hmm. the, the parking lot still at the gas pump, but if he didn't say anything about him counting drawers or doing anything, you know, he, and I don't think he's that much, he, he God, I, I am too far removed from this, but um I believe he said something to the effect that the guy at the register, he knew, he didn't know his name, but he wasn't, you know, he, he knew of him from being in there. Okay. So, you know, I, th- I think he was somewhat of a regular, at least enough to know that he recognized the attendant, but not so much that he even knows him by name. Yeah. Uh, but again, he could have still been sitting out, you know, gone back into his car and not have left. Mm-hmm. But then I'm trying to remember, there was another element to that to why I thought he was gone too. I think because well, there was because another
2: there, customer, I think is what.
1: Yeah, there was another purchase at 7. 756
2: or something, right? Right just before the dump, I believe.
1: Yeah, before or right after the dump or mm-hmm. right around there. Uh, and since he said he didn't see anybody else in the store, that's what it was, mm-hmm. is because you had his purchase and then you had another purchase and then you had the dump. And he said there was no one else in the store while he was there. So since the 756 purchase, I believe it was. And he wasn't in there when that happened. That meant he had to have already been out the door before that person came in and made their purchase, which could have been the guy. If he's being truthful, it could have been the guy that was sitting in the car. Yeah.
2: So then these next couple are where I want you to tell me why this is true. Okay. Because this is where I get start to get lost in the timeline Mm -hmm. of at least fully believing the timeline. Now, he says he says that he goes to the bus station. And we, you know, the timeline proposed sounds like he goes straight to the bus station. You figure right. out it's four minutes to get to the bus station, right? But that is again saying that he went straight to the bus station, right? Like, how do how do we know that he went straight to the bus station?
1: I'm just pulling the language, analyzing the linguistics and his word choices. So when they said, "How long was it?" when the when the police officer asked him, "How long was it after you left the gas station before you heard?" and he said, "I had enough time to get to the bus station." Okay. So that to me, that means he left, he's, he's, he's thinking in his mind, well, how long was it? I know, you know, okay, what did I do before I heard? Well, I had enough time. I got there and then I went in maybe and bought an orange soda Mm. and then my son told me what happened. Okay. You know, so, but, but that's why I think he went straight there because he, he said that he went from the gas station to the bus station. He didn't say I went directly there, but he did say that was the that was the next place he went and that he had enough time to get there. Mm-hmm.
2: So so that's I mean, that's one of my big thoughts is just knowing how long he actually took to get there. You know, could he have drove around? Could he have looked for a fair? Could he have done things right? That could have pushed that timeline back. Mm-hmm. I, I know some people talked about the soda thing. Like, why would he go get a soda? But that doesn't I, that is what it is. That doesn't bother me.
1: It's weird, but it's it's also could be not weird because of going back to what I was saying earlier about like the receipt and being a business owner. Mm-hmm. I'll do that stuff like that sometimes. For example, I've been at Lowe's buying materials for this build out, mm-hmm. which is a business expense. So when I'm when I'm there checking out, you know, I may want to grab a Starbucks energy drink or a bottle of water or something from the register or from you know up by the registers mm-hmm. but I won't do it when I'm making a purchase like this because it really it, it messes up my books because I can't I can deduct the construction materials but I can't deduct a drink for myself mm-hmm. out of it so then you got to like take your receipt and start to separate out what's what so I would rather just make a single purchase there and and just buy what I need that's all everything in this transaction is for business expenses and then you know, either stop somewhere else or even go back to whatever you're gonna do mm-hmm. to get your drink or whatever. So that that's what I to me, that's what and that's again why I thought the receipt thing is weird, because that makes sense to me if he wants an orange soda, but that's not a business expense that he in whatever he's using to pay, if it's cash or a credit card or whatever it was, uh, that he doesn't want that transaction to be mucked up with personal expenses.
2: Makes sense. Makes sense. So then after that we have the police leaving he says he sees the police leaving the Luca Grill or passing the Luca Grill. Right. Again, we're assuming that that's going to that call, which makes sense. Right.
1: And then I think he later clarified he they were like coming from behind the Luca Grill. Okay. Yeah.
2: And is that that's obviously by the bus station? Do we know if that's by it's the right bus station? It's right next to the bus station. Okay. Yeah. And then he says shortly after that is when his son talks to him, mm-hmm. whether whether it's in person or radios him. Right. So again, I think that there's there's still we don't know what that time frame is. Right. And I say this coming as a person that is horrible with time. That's why I'm on this side of this at the moment. Right. Because I'm a person that's horrible with time. You can ask my wife. I do this all the time where I'm like, oh, it was just the other day. Oh, it was just, mm-hmm. oh, it was like 10 minutes. And she's like, that was like three hours ago.
1: Right. Mike's bad with that. But the other way, Mike, Mike always, <laughs> everything's been years ago. And like, like that was last week. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
2: dude. I mean, I yeah, I'm terrible with it too. Terrible. So I think that, you know, by the time elapsed that he goes to the police station mm-hmm. at one o'clock. Right. There's some there's some details that he could have lost in there, saying that you know we're saying that he knew about the crime beforehand mm-hmm. or or immediately, which very well could be the I, case.
1: Yeah, I don't think he knew about it beforehand. I, honestly my my working hypothesis, which is not even just the only one I'm I'm working on. Like I said, there's still a possibility he has nothing to do with any of this. His only connection that that brings him is to be where I'm interested in him is that he knew about it too soon. Mm-hmm. You know that it wouldn't be. On the on the the radio or TV, yeah. and, and, well, and
2: I apologize, I misspoke because that's more what I meant. Not beforehand, yeah. but Before
1: anybody else would have known, right, is what I was trying to, get yeah. At. And that and that's what got my interest with him. Was it was like, okay, he knew before he probably should have known, mm-hmm. and then you find out, oh, this guy that is that two people, three counting the, the our tipster mm-hmm. have come forward and said that. He had um, some connection to or uh, that that, um, that was involved in the murder, Jeff Durbin. And you, you find out, oh, that guy drives a cab for Wiley Holt. It was using the cab to commit harm robberies. Then it all starts to, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, really, really get your attention. No, I see where you're going with that.
2: Lucky
0: Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. I In my dentist's office.
1: No purchase necessary. we were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I like I said. I just that's my as I wanted to bring it to you to see what what you would tell me because right. these are my questions yeah. as far as this timeline because I could still see the timeline being pushed back and and then we talked about before about you know what if they have a scanner a police scanner you know we talked about the the police reporters right. having a police scanner right. knowing that this possibly happened to get there. So is there any possibility that they could have a police scanner?
1: They could. And it's one thing we consider. But then we, I went through and re-listened to It's really garbled and hard to hear audio. Mm-hmm. We've played some of it on the show. But the the, the police traffic doesn't – it's it's not clear what's going on by the police traffic. Okay. You know what I mean? To know that mm-hmm. a kid was shot or whatever. I mean, you got the alarm. They're getting on scene. He's asking for the license plate. It's hard to, It's, it's kind of hard to hear. And then – he says, you know, the, you know, have rescue come or it's, uh, you know, we're gonna need rescue. But, you know, he never says uh, oh, we got a kid down. There's, you know, there's somebody shot, and none, he never says anything like that over the radio. So I, I don't think it's a scanner thing. The bigger issue is, the bigger question is, I think exactly what you're getting at, which is the time. When did he know? And and the in the in the reality is that we we really don't know for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's no. He didn't say I found out. I mean, obviously he had the time wrong. He had the time wrong. He said he was. At the gas station at eight fifteen, and we know he was there at seven fifty three. Mm-hmm. So I'm just looking at analyzing the words that he's saying, how he's choosing his words, uh, and look like I said when, when he says, "I had enough time to get to the bus station." That tells me a couple things. One, he went straight to the bus station. Okay. Two, it tells me that it was very close to that time; that it was very soon. You know, so it wasn't like well, let me think, I went to the bus station, I had a pop, I talked to, I I, I ran a fair here, uh, I gave somebody a ride there, and then it was, well, let me think, well, I had enough time to get there, which, which which is an indicator to me, you know, he's, you know, leaking out that it happened very, very close to that. Okay. You know, but but again, that's just my analysis of the linguistics there, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's, you know, that's accurate because then there's the shortly thereafter, mm-hmm. you know, so what's shortly thereafter. I don't think it was a long time. You know, I, I don't think that there's another fare in there or him driving anywhere else. I mean, it, it, it's, it is it's it's clear from his statement that he was still at the bus station when he heard. Mm-hmm. Most cabs, right, you know, they're not making money unless there's a button in the seat. That's true. You know, so he's, he's not just going to sit at the bus station unless it, one, you know, the one thing I've been hoping to get a hold of, nobody's found it yet. But, and I don't know if it's possible if we could get, like, a bus schedule. Oh, that, yeah, if he was
2: waiting for a bus to come in.
1: Yeah, if there was, like, a you know, if there's always a an 830 bus that comes in or a 9 o'clock bus. If you're sitting there waiting for people, you know, like what people do at the airports, you know, mm-hmm. be there when the bus gets there.
2: But if there was, if there is an 830, if we could say that there was an 830 bus, that would still, if he's still there, I mean, that's still really early to know.
1: It's all To me, it's all still too soon.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I think I think you're proving this to me at this point. Mm-hmm. But that's that's answering my questions as as to why this timeline is what it is. Right.
1: And the only other things you got to factor in there are memory manipulation. Okay. You know, which is so. Yeah, he could have found out too soon. But then you know his your memories get blurred over mm-hmm. time. But again, we're only talking four hours. Yeah. Four or five. hours. We're not talking about days. We're not even talking about a sleep in between there. Just a few hours away before he's going into the police station. But you know we're you know, for example, that, you know, maybe, at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and he sits down and, you know, meets the other drivers for a cup of coffee and they're talking about it and he learns more about it mm-hmm. and then, you know, he, he kind of blends that into a statement like, I heard this, but really maybe he just heard that something happened and he got the rest of the details later. Yeah. We just don't have any way of knowing that.
2: You know, and we talked about, about the possibility of him going into as almost like a cover up as almost a distraction, mm-hmm. which again, I don't think that that happened. But you'd almost have to think that he didn't know who did it, even if he did hear about it, but he didn't know that the possibility of it being Jeff Durbin, because let's say for instance, you did know, you know, maybe I'm, maybe you did something. I'm not necessarily going to go rat you out, you know, or, or go cover for you either. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, I probably wouldn't go, I'm probably just going to shut my mouth and stay at home and let it be. So why would you go out there if you did know who it was? I
1: think a lot of that has to do with stuff we just don't know, which is really the character of Wiley Holt. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, on one hand, you can read a lot about him. He was, you know, he played in a band and he was involved in the politics and he he was a business owner. He's this good guy. But the other side, you look at him, it's almost like like mini Midwest mafioso, Mm -hmm. you know, like with the cab stuff, you know, where he builds a business and sells it, and signs a. No compete clause, and then has his son get another license, which he we found out he was the one that was actually running it, which is what everybody suspected Mm -hmm. that he's doing some shady deals. The fact that Durbin was using his cabs to commit multiple armed robberies, Mm -hmm. you know, wasn't it wasn't just this one if it was involved. I mean, it's like how could and from our tipster, he was bragging about using the cab, so it wasn't a secret. So I, I find it very, very unlikely that Wiley Holt didn't know, didn't have a clue that he was using these cabs, mm-hmm. his cabs to commit these armed robberies. So, so let's say that he does know. Well, now all of a sudden it's not so far fetched for him to come in if, if they're like, shit, you killed somebody. Okay. Well, and, and it may even not be he's, so we know that he's, he's related to Jeff Durbin. Holt and Durbin are related through marriage maybe not so much even to protect Jeff Durbin, but to protect his own interests. Okay. He just started, you know, he just finally got this cab company going. He gets it going in, in what was the end of February. So I've been going for a month and now one of his cabs was used in a murder that will crush his business. Yeah. You know, so if you, if, if you're looking at him like this Midwest mafioso guy, all of a sudden now it's like, Oh, for him to go in and try to redirect, The police investigation, I'm not saying that's what happened, but it's not so far fetched to think that it could happen for him to say if he knows that there was if he's using what our tipster told us was a cab and a brown car. If the brown car was part of it, he's like, okay, well, I was the cab that was there and I left and I saw a brown car and there were there was a black guy in it Mm -hmm. to try to push them away. Like I said, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I don't think it's that far fetched either. This next one's from Leslie. Can you specify what kind
0: of actual evidence or leads you have to implicate the Jeffs, and if none yet, can you summarize your
1: best points instead? Well, a lot of it we just we just covered, obviously, with the the timeline stuff. You know, it, it's it's Jeff Durbin and Jeff Miller being, well, I guess what I would consider persons of interest or suspects in my mind. Again, not accusing them of being the actual perpetrators, but certainly I think deserve a closer look. A lot of it is a number of things. It's circumstantial, but it's. The track record that the two of them together committed armed robberies with guns in other gas stations, even another Clark station, using a cab. So it's, you know, their their past behavior, you know, past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior and vice versa. And the connection to, it just so happens that the owner of the cab that he's driving was at the crime scene moments before it happened. And then he... He happens to go into the police station and pro- provide information to them. And then we have the the fact that you have, you know, I, I still like Jeff Miller's wife. That's a big one for me. That's not an angry ex-wife. That's not an ex-con trying to get a deal or a con trying to get a deal. This This is his wife. Now, granted, she was in jail when they went and talked to her. So, you know, the, there's the potential, but I've seen, so there's, we've had some of the reports. Uh, Ray Wilson found some reports that were, was, it, was it some of the redaction was taken away. Um, as far as how they got connected to her, we'll talk about that a little bit on Sunday, but there's no indications in any of the reports that she was, that she got a deal, was asking for a deal. Sounds like she was locked up for, for kind of a minor offense. She had some, some mental health issues. It's, uh, it, it sounds like from what I've, what I've read and researched into her, which, Again, in that case, you have, you know, I I just, I, I almost would say I don't know that she has the capacity to make up a story like that, especially when her story is that Jeff Miller told her that he killed Bill, and that he did it with Jeff Durbin, and then again we find out later that they are doing their arm, they're doing armed robberies aside from that, Uh, but then we, you know, years, a couple years later, we have another tipster that tells us the exact same thing that Durbin had told him that he was involved in it. And then we have our tipster that said that he was involved with it. it, it it's it's not a strong case. It's not a case you could take into court yet right now, but I think it's certainly a strong enough case to consider them suspects.
2: I think another big piece of evidence is something you put in this episode, which was when you said that the crimes picked up when this cab company started. Right. And then even after Jamie was arrested for the other robbery, they continued up right. until the just were arrested.
1: Yeah, I forgot I said that. So that's
2: a big. That's I mean. That's a strong point as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Once once they're arrested, the the armed robbery seemed to seem to really slow down. M.O.s are very are very similar, and then and then let's not forget. And hopefully, you guys caught this in the episode. I I said it, but to be clear, I put at the end of the episode what Jamie told me about Jeff Durbin coming to his jail cell, but that was at the beginning of our conversation. He so I I told him I said, hey, do you remember? When uh, we talked a a couple months ago about Jeff Miller and Jeff Durbin, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, I met Jeff Durbin once, and he told me that story. This is before he knew that we had any new information about the Jeffs, that we were considering them suspects. He just always thought it was weird that Jeff Durbin, when he got locked up for those other armed robberies, sought him out to go ask him because he said, quote, I want to see who they pinned. I wanted to see who they pinned that Clark station on.
2: Yeah, if that's completely true, that's mind blowing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so again, not a case you take to court. We always have to keep in mind that you know the, a lot of hearsay stuff is what got Jamie in this mess to begin with. So we we certainly don't want to condemn someone because someone else said they said that they did it. There needs to be more, but it's it's a it's an area of investigation that that I think definitely needs to be further explored.
0: 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts
1: today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
0: All right, before we move on, Bob, Leslie put a great post up on the fan page with a lot of listeners chiming in, trying to determine the height of the killer based on the entry angles of the shots to Bill's chest. Bob, did you read this thread?
1: Yeah, it was it's awesome. If you have if you're not on the fan page or if you're on the fan page and haven't checked it out, Leslie and also um Richard Harris, listener Richard Harris, both of them were and a lot of listeners were, but I know Richard actually did some video reenactments and some videos with I I must have been his wife. And what they're trying to determine was based on, you know, the two wounds to Bill's chest, you had the one in the chest that um came kind of from Bill's left to right, I believe if I remember correctly. We're assuming it was level because there's no up down deviation noted on the ME's report. And the other one that came in by the collarbone and crossed down through both kind of crisscrossed his heart. And so I think what Leslie was originally looking at was based on Bill's height, which I believe was like six foot one. And the fact that the gunshot appears to have gone straight in level with no up down deviation, trying to determine if, because what we have is we have Jeff Durbin. Who again? Who we believe was the the, in the other robberies was the driver, the one driving the cab. I think his DOC report, his from when he was arrested one time, says he's five foot ten. I've seen other things and and have heard that he was that he was a tall guy. They called him Big Jeff. And some of the stuff we're going to talk about on Sunday, there people that knew them referred to them as Big Jeff and Little Jeff because he was a tall guy. Whereas Jeff Miller. Uh, as noted in Crow's report, was a short guy. He was like five foot six. And so what she was trying to determine was, well, could Miller have been the shooter at five foot six with that, you know, straight line shot and then or could Jeff Durbin have been because he's much taller. He's closer to the height of Bill. And, you know, I, I did make a comment in there. I said, I I love the work and the reenactment. I, I love where we're just at in general right now with everybody really just digging in and the true crowdsourcing happening happening right now. But, um, as far as the, and, and Zach and chime in on this a little bit too, because he being a, a professional shooter kind of knows more about it. But my, my issue with the, I, I just don't think that we can actually determine anything about the height of the killer based on the wounds. And the reason for that is that a couple things, one, we have way too many unknowns. And secondly, the crime scene like this, any crime scene like this is, is entirely too dynamic. The unknowns being we don't know how the shooter shoots.
2: Absolutely. And I had a lot of discussions with listeners early in the season about this. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly one thing we talked about is there's different positions you shoot from. And, and there's like three main positions you can shoot from in an instance like this, which would one would be from the hip. Right. One would be called point shooting, which is just basically directly out in front of you. And then another one would be an actual sight picture, which is a little bit higher than that. Right. We don't know what that shooter shot with. You know, if they shot from the hip, the shot would be lower. But if Bill was seated, which we don't fully know. Right. Because there was a stool back there. It would lower him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he's standing, you know, and there's a lot of things that go into that. But like a hip shot is exactly what it sounds. You know, you're basically your arms at a 90 degree angle. You're shooting from the hip, just pulling the trigger point shooting. The one where I say is point shooting is literally, like I said, I mean, you just extend the arm out in front of you
1: and pull the trigger. And even just as you just extended your arm out, the, the height of your hand, mm-hmm. the, the, the the range was a good foot up and down depending yeah. on how far you reached your hand out. Exactly.
2: So in, And it could be anywhere in that travel mm-hmm. of when you pull the trigger. Right. And it's not hard to hit a target like that at that distance. Yeah, I'm
1: sure somebody's not squaring up and yeah, holding a full sight picture at eye level.
2: But there there could be that instance. If somebody does hold a full sight picture, Mm -hmm. which again is 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 higher. I mean that's more at your eyes. Right. You know you're full you're holding a full sight picture. So I mean there's there's a drastic change in level there that could decide where that shot comes from. And then on top of it, like we said, we don't know where Bill was. We don't know if Bill's standing. We don't know if Bill is seated. We don't know if Bill's laying. He could be crouched. I mean there could be so many things. Right that we don't know
1: there's so many. yeah there, there's a ton of unknowns and that's not even to mention the posture of the shooter the posture and, uh, yeah. of bill and the stance of the shooter mm-hmm. you know because like if you're you know shooting the way you and i have been taught to shoot you know your your legs are spread at shoulder width apart knee slightly bent you know you're down a little as opposed to somebody who might be standing straight up mm-hmm. and and we're just talking about normal shooting styles but there are people that will hold the gun sideways that will hold the gun over their head when they shoot or or shoot from the, you know think of the old cops and robber movies where they got their finger the guns in their pocket their coat pocket cuz mm-hmm. they don't want anybody to see it and they're shooting through a pocket i mean that gun could have been anywhere and it's not anywhere but enough that given the close range there's just there's entirely too many unknowns to make any kind of determination there's nothing you can't say You know, even if, say, the angle, say, the angle of the shot went downward Mm -hmm. from up to down, you say, Oh, well, the guy's taller than him. Maybe, or Bill might have been leaned over the counter, Mm -hmm. changing his angle. You know, there's just, there's just entirely too many unknowns, make any determination. The other problem that we have is we don't have an exit wound or a secondary strike of the bullet, like against a wall, because that's when you can start really at least narrowing things down. So, say, instead of a 22, they used a 40 caliber. And it went through Bill and stuck in the wall behind him. Yeah. Well, now you can take, you know, where the bullet ended up and you can, and you know the angle of the path of the bullet through the body and you can, you can trace that back to about where the gunshot took. But even that isn't an exact science because the, the, the bullet will deform as it goes through the body. They will deflect through, you know, as it hits bones and it, they can tumble, they can change path, they don't necessarily go straight through. So there's still there would be less room for error to calculate the 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 place the bullet came from, mm-hmm. but it was there would still be up in the air a little bit. But but considering it was a low caliber gun, a little rimfire twenty-two that did not exit the body, mm-hmm. there's just you don't you don't have a starting and ending point. You need to have at least two points, three points really, where it went into the body, out of the body, and where it hit a wall. If you have those three points, now you can make a line. When you only have one point and an angle, there's just no way to figure it yeah. out.
2: And I almost think, and this is just strictly my opinion, is that I almost think it is more of a hip shot, point shot with Bill seated because of the size of the gas station. So right. they they said that there was no soot or stippling, which means it had to be from a certain distance three away. Feet, yeah. But if you extend your arm, you know, I've already cut three feet. Right. You know. Two and a half feet? I I, I think it probably
1: happened about as far as you and I are apart right now. Yeah. With with the counter between us, Mm -hmm. and you point the gun. I don't think that they were both right at the counter, because, again, you could have literally touched him with the barrel of the gun in that case. But if you're standing a foot behind the counter, and I'm standing a foot and a half behind, and probably, you you have to imagine once he pulls a gun out, Bill's going to back up Mm -hmm. instinctually. uh, Instinctively? Instinctually? I think you got it. It's one of those words. uh, Whichever one makes me sound smart perfect. Okay, uh he, but he he's you know he, he's going to back up mm-hmm. to the to the wall. So that's that's going to give you I think there was probably estimating cause we don't have a crime scene diagram, probably 3 to 4 feet. Okay. I think between the you've seen the pictures between mm-hmm. the back of the counter and the back wall. Yeah. So th- that means you know the the barrel of the gun was probably somewhere right along the inside edge of the counter, which means the the shooter was probably standing real close to the counter and mm-hmm. reaching over it like you said. Yeah. Well, see, that's
2: why I still think it was possibly a hip shot to bring right. the
1: arm back a little bit further. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and that makes sense because yeah, if they fully extended their arm, you're a lot closer. Yeah. Now, now all of a sudden, you can get to where you're within two, and you would have some stippling.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that with the room that there is, that it would probably be more of a hip shot just because,
1: because of that, because the shooter doesn't have much room to back up either. Mm-hmm. And and why would you get further away? Yeah. But then again, also, again, we just don't have enough information. For all we know. The shooter was, you know, came around to the edge of the, the the end of the counter on the side where the cash register is and was shooting back, you know, parallel to the counter from behind it, you know, where so like Bill could have been back where the cigarette rack is mm-hmm. and the shot could have happened there. Because again, we have no, we have no exit wound. We have, we don't have a bolt in the wall and we don't have any blood spatter. So there's there's just there's nothing for us to determine that all we know is where Bill ended up, mm-hmm. which you know again it's not like on TV you don't get shot and go and die and you don't fall back from the gun yeah you know he could have shot him from that position like if the if the killer went around the counter and Bill of course backed up over you know to get away from him. now you've got maybe four five six feet there by you, you got the door there too there, there's there's more space there he could have shot Bill from that angle. Bill could have been on his knees begging. You know, mm-hmm. we just we just don't know. Yeah. All right. Ms. Ramadal Mid says, I'm so glad
0: you guys are back. Did the flyer stir up any new forthcoming information? Hoping someone decides
1: to talk. Somebody definitely knows who's responsible for the murder and robbery. Uh, not yet. And I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast yet. Uh, and I'm going to make sure I'm going to plug it into the uh, one that I, I wasn't really aware of. But on the free Jamie Snow website. They have, they have already established a $10,000 reward for any information that leads to the exoneration or a new trial for Jamie Snow. Um, and, gosh, I should have, again, I'm so far removed from this. And I, I think I know who did it, but I don't want to say the wrong name. But I'll, 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 I'll let you know who it was next week because wow, I want to have more time to research. I didn't know this question was coming. But, yeah, one of our listeners took it upon herself to create a flyer that has our tip line phone number on it with the $10,000 reward and then got listeners from the Bloomington area and, and either shipped them or like had them like, you know, sent them and had them printed at like a, a print shop in, in Bloomington. And then our listeners have gone and picked up flyers and passed them out. Uh, They took it upon themselves to pay for newspaper color, newspaper advertisements for the, for the reward. Uh, and, and no, we, we, we have had a couple tips come in, but nothing concrete yet enough that, you know, that, that we could really do much with, uh, people that like, Hey, I knew this and, or, you know, some of the stuff you'll hear on, you'll hear on Sunday, nothing huge or groundbreaking yet, but it's, it's awesome. I'm, I'm, and I apologize that I didn't, I don't know who did that, but uh, I guess the greater point here is that the listeners have come together. This, this is, this had nothing to do with me. I didn't do any of this. And created the flyers, paid for printing, sent them out, paid to advertise for it in the local newspapers for this $10,000 reward. And for anyone listening right now, if you do have a tip, you can you can get a hold of us on our tip line at 269-224-2833. That's 269-224-2833. And that's for any tips on the case. And if you have information that's going to lead to the exoneration or a new trial for Jamie Snow, that's $10,000 reward. All right, Bob. That's it for questions this week. But there has been an update in Sandy Melgar's case. Yes, there has been, um, and un- it's it's unfortunate, but not unexpected. The you know where we were at with Sandy Melgar's case, our season six case, was that her direct appeal had been filed. So that and remember, direct appeals cannot consider any new evidence. It's just uh, basically they're they're arguing procedure and constitutional violations from the trial, saying she didn't get a fair trial the major argument that the secret made in that was that um the the there was not sufficient evidence for a conviction basically saying the jury just got it wrong which is an incredibly high burden uh we did get a ruling yesterday which would be a few days ago once you guys hear this that that appeal was denied again it's it's sad news but it's also wasn't unexpected news and from here there is a process where Sandy's team can then I think they can appeal that to the Court of Criminal Appeals. But, you know, the 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 big thing happening in Sandy's case is not what the Secrets are doing, although that work is very important, but it's more what Kathleen Zellner is doing, which she's working on post conviction stuff, habeas claims, which that is when you can introduce new evidence. That is when new investigative work comes in. And that has to happen after the direct appeal. So you know, the, the, the direct appeals are, are almost a hoop you gotta jump through. And of course we were hoping that the judges would the panel of judges would 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 see things the way we see them and at least order a new trial. They have not, but keep in mind that Sandy is way ahead of most other people in her position because of the fact that her habeas claims are already being worked on and have been being worked on for nearly a year now uh by Kathleen Zellner while simultaneously while the direct appeal is going on. So that's still happening. Again, a blow, not expected. Um, but but definitely keep Sandy in your in your thoughts or prayers and and don't don't forget about writing her and uh reaching out to her in, in any way just to to help keep her spirits up.
0: And speaking of writing to our friends, Tammy Alexander posted on the fan page reminding everyone that Jamie Snow's birthday is on January thirteenth. She says any social media is awesome, but it can never take place of a birthday card with a handwritten well-wish. She mentions that Jamie would really appreciate a card for his birthday.
1: Yeah, so that is coming up. His birthday is January 13th. That is this coming Monday, just a few days away. So if even he gets there late, that's no big deal. Um, Just keep in mind, if you mail Jamie a card, there cannot be any glitter, stickers, or glue. None of that is allowed, just a plain card and the ink from your handwritten well-wish. And as Tammy says, of course, the DNA from you licking the stamp. Um, so if you want to write to Jamie, that is his address uh, for his birthday. His address is Jamie Snow N50072. That's his that's his uh, inmate number. Stateville Correctional Center, P.O. Box 112 in Joliet, Illinois, 60434. And I'm sure you didn't catch all of that, but the, his address is on our website. So is Sandy's, and so is Jesse Eldridge's and Kenny Snow's. So any, any of our, the people that we've talked about that we're working with, you want to send them a letter, that is a great way to help keep people's spirits up. And with Jamie's birthday coming up, and again, I'm sure Sandy Melgar can use a, a pick-me-up right now after she just got the bad news about her appeal being denied. And with all that being said, we need to get back to work to create Sunday's episode for you. Thank you guys for the th- giving us the opportunity to take those couple weeks off. And we'll be back in full force with the main episode this Sunday. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. A big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com/truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. Now, let me do. A, let's make it a little more fun than that.
0: Yeah, you could change it up.
1: Yeah. What is up, everybody? Welcome back. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> what would you call uh, that? Hard no. hard no. I just, It just doesn't work. Hard no. It doesn't fit. Hard
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> it felt good, Mike. It, no, it no, I don't so think good. so. I don't you, think you so. You my feelings.
0: I'm so sorry. I had to. That, this is my job. <laughs> oh. It's my job to, to
1: nip that shit. I, I just didn't feel right. Okay, let me try again. It felt good. Hello, everybody, and welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same one from before. I'm getting okay. somewhere with it. All right. Hello, everybody, and <laughs> it's over. It's over. When okay, might as well I stop? It. I got.
2: I got it.